We're going to open our message today uh, with a little bit of an illustration, and uh, Leandro has kindly agreed to come and kind of be my guinea pig. Uh, so, Leandro, if you could come up on stage here. Uh, I promised him that he wouldn't have to say anything. Uh, he agreed uh, on that basis. So, there we go. Could you pop this on for us, please, Leandro? That's great. Uh, really, really good. And uh, what I'm going to do, this is like my old rucksack from home, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some uh, bricks in there, and these bricks represent uh, wrongdoings that have been committed against Leandro. Now, I haven't gone through all the wrongdoings that have been committed against you, but I'm going to just make up some. So the first one here is uh, the, uh, the, the, the wrongdoing of that time in the playground when you got into a fight and somebody punched you. And it really hurt. You know, it was really grotty, wasn't it? Um, and then this brick here, this represents uh, uh, that time like uh, when you, somebody stole your notes in school, in secondary school, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't confess up, and they actually got a better mark than you in the exam. That's not great, and they did that. And then this was the time when somebody ran into your car outside your house, and they drove off, and you never saw them at all, and you had to pay for everything yourself. Uh, and so that's in your bag as well, uh, and that's really awful. Um, and is this getting a bit heavier now? Yeah? Getting a little bit heavier? Yeah, so that's in there too. And we have one more, one more thing as well. Um, so this would be the time when you fell for an insurance scam, and you lost thousands. You lost thousands, and actually you're very, very upset about it. And that's not great, and it's really weighing you down. And just turn sideways a minute there. That's, yeah, that's really heavy. And could you run, a fi could you run five miles with that on your back? You're going to try, but yeah, that's going to be hard, isn't it? Forgiveness is basically saying, I'm not prepared to have this weight of these things done against me in my life any longer. I am not prepared to walk until I'm 80 with that on my back and that around my person. And as I go to God and I say to God, God, I'm going to release those people that did those wrong things, God takes that off you. He sets you free. You feel a whole lot lighter now, don't you? Thank you, Leandro. <laughs> Sit yourself down. Great job. And you, are, you put that at the foot of the cross and you are genuinely set free. Leandro is walking back to his seat now with no burden on him at all. And the reality is that some of us in this room are carrying burdens from when we were five, uh, and we, not, we might now be 20 years down the line, we might even be 50 years down the line, and we're still carrying those bricks in our rucksack on our back. So I want to open uh, my message today by re recommending a film to you, uh, that you that you may have seen. Uh, and I would, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, you know, uh, please pick it up on something like Freeview or Netflix. Um, and if you've seen it, you'll remember why I'm, you'll think why I'm making the recommendation. It's a great film. It's a 2009 film called Invictus. And it stars Morgan Freeman playing uh, the, the role of Nelson Mandela. And Matt Damon uh, stars alongside him, and he plays the part of a guy called Francois Pinar, the captain of the South African national rugby team, the Springboks. Now, Invictus uh, tells the story of the 1995 Rugby World Cup, which was hosted in South Africa, uh, and the journey of the Springboks through that competition. Now, five years prior to this, uh, this particular tournament, uh, back in 1990, Nelson Mandela had been released, he'd just been released from prison after spending 27 years there, uh, as many of you will know. He had also been tortured at different times while he was there for his opposition to the white-ruled apartheid regime of South Africa. And now four years after his release, 
Mandela gets elected in the national elections in 1994 as the first black president of South Africa. And as he steps up to lead the country, he is faced with enormous difficulties and issues wherever he turns. The country is in big trouble. There is poverty, there's crime, there's violence, there's hostility. And looming over it all, and the biggest issue of all, is the divide between black and white people in South Africa from over five decades of severe racial tension. And in the film, uh, you can actually see some of these tensions coming out because President de Klerk, who was the previous prime minister, had a, had a security detail, and some of those guys stayed on in their jobs. And then Mandela had a security... He appointed some new people, and so you have this new team of old people, new people, and the tensions are there in the film, and you feel that tension. Now, it's a year to go before the 1995 World uh, Rugby Cup tournament, and Mandela makes a visit, and he goes and meets with the white captain of the Springboks, uh, this guy, Francois Pinard. And, and that in itself was a really radical step by Mandela to take that, because it was towards bridge building. The Springboks were people who had been seen as, a, or a team who had been seen as a symbol of white supremacy in that nation. They really were, and yet they had not been playing at all well. They were languishing, uh, and they were, you know, national morale in the national rugby team was at an all-time low. And so Mandela visits Pinar, and he suggests to him that a Springbok victory uh, in the Rugby World Cup would go a long, long way to helping to start, reunite South Africa a little bit. And the captain of the rugby team, he actually agrees to this. He says, yeah, that's a really great idea. And from that point on, both men share this, this kind of vision, this ideal, this hope, this inspiration uh, that the tournament could play a role in reuniting some of the difficulties in the country, of helping people overcome uh, their differences. Uh, and Mandela gets out and he does lots of advocacy for the games. Uh, and the opening games are started, uh, they start off and they're watched by blacks and whites alike across the country. And support and excitement grows and grows. Um, and then against all the odds, because they weren't a great team, they beat their arch rivals, Australia, uh, in one of the uh, kind of early sort of rounds and stuff. And then they go on to beat France. And then all that remains is to win against the fearsome All Blacks of New Zealand. Uh, and they, they've got New Zealand in the final. Now something very significant happens during the tournament. Francois Pinard takes his Springbok team to Robben Island, where Mandela spent the first 18 years of his imprisonment. And they visit it. And while he is there, Pinard is extremely impressed and inspired uh, by what Mandela went through. Uh, he kind of sort of expresses this amazement uh, that Mandela, and, and, and he, in his words, he said that Mandela could spend 30 years in a tiny cell, a cell and come out ready to forgive the people who put him there. He's just stunned by this. So they get to the final of the, of the rugby, and the Springboks win the game by 15 to 12. Uh, there was a penalty just towards the end, I think, a drop kick, and, and they win it. And they were cheered on in South Africa by black and whites alike. And it did do something to reunite that nation, a little bit. And wearing a Springbok t-shirt, which had formerly been the symbol of that uh, wrong regime that was in that country, Mandela wore it and stepped out onto the, uh, the rugby pitch. And he was able to present Pinar and the team with the winning trophy. 
And so initiatives like uh, the victory of the Springboks and the sponsorship by Mandela of that and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and so many of the things that Mandela was responsible for pioneering and leading helped to build really important bridges across racial divides in a nation really scarred by that for so, so long. And they flowed from Mandela's own personal willingness to forgive people who had wronged him. He had that on the inside of him as a person. Nelson Mandela is a person who shows us the incredible power of forgiveness. He really does. In his National Christmas Message of 1990, he said this, We must strive to be moved by a generosity of spirit that will enable us to outgrow the hatred and conflicts of the past. What an awesome statement that is. Such a challenging statement too. And in his famous book, The Long Walk to Freedom, um, he wrote this, Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it's such a powerful weapon. And today we're continuing in our series looking at the next major section of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and and it's, we, here is what it says in Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some older translations that you might be more familiar with put it this way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I remember my mum praying that over me when I was three or four when I went to bed, and I wondered what trespasses were. What is forgiveness exactly? Why is it so hard sometimes to practice and yet so powerful when we do it? Why does people, uh, sorry, why does Jesus ask us to forgive people? Why does God's forgiveness of us seem to be tied into our forgiveness of others? Are we actually saying that writing something as amazing as the Lord's Prayer, there's a point at which God can't do something because of us? Well, when someone hurts us, I think we can be left reeling, can't we? When somebody really hurts us or really treats us so poorly and it, it impacts our emotions in that really painful way, and it can come from so many different ways. It can be verbal, it can be physical, um, it can be emotional, it can be even spiritual hurts. You know, the, the damage that can be done by one person to another or one group to another group can be immense and absolutely devastating. It really can. You know, I can still recall fights that I got into in primary school. I could walk you to the spot in my old primary school where I got punched. I know it. I could walk there if it's still there. We remember these things. I can recall conversations that I've had where I felt really let down. I can, uh, I can think of times when someone has said something or done something that has really cut my heart on the inside, and I've been devastated. And I would say that all of us in this room have had something or stuff like that happen to us in various different forms. You know, there are even people, you know, from my history and in my world that I would really, honestly, I would prefer not to meet them again. And that's not a great thing to admit from the platform of a church. I just wouldn't. We are all on the receiving end of someone else's sin from time to time. Are we not, church? We are. And in essence, to forgive someone is to stop blaming them or being angry with them for something they've done or failed to do that has hurt us in some way. Let me say that again. 
To forgive someone is to stop blaming them or being angry with them for, forgi- uh, for something they have done or failed to do that has hurt us in some way. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is making a decision that how a person hurt you is not going to occupy your head or your heart space any longer by releasing them back to God for him to handle on your behalf. It's a decision, oh, that is heavy. It's a decision not to carry this weight around for the rest of your life because it's going to take so much from you if you do. We all feel the impact of other people's sins towards us from one way or another. And we have to live with that in ways that we would never have asked for or chosen. But what forgiveness does is it provides us with a way out and a way of managing living with that that stops hurting us and it stops us from turning bitter. Turn with, you, turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, or on your devices to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, I just want to encourage you guys, if you're uh, able to get the version event up as well, all of our notes are on there. And if you want to find that, you can just jump onto our YouTube channel, and the link is in the description for our YouTube, to, uh, YouTube uh, show today, if you like, or our service today. Uh, click on that link, um, and you can jump into the version event, and all the notes are there for you, uh, and the headings. Matthew 18 tells, uh, Jesus tells a parable, a parable of the unmerciful servants in which a man owed a king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent in those days represented around 20 years worth of work. So for there to be 10,000 owed times 20, I think is 200,000. That is a lot of work owed, a lot of time. What Jesus is basically saying is it's an immense and unrepayable debt. You're never, ever going to pay this back. But the king in the parable lets this man with the colossal debt off. Uh, And then the man goes out, having been released from the debt, and he finds someone who owes him way, way less. And he treats them much, much worse. And he doesn't let them off their tiny little debt at all. When the king finds out, he is furious with the unfairness and the hypocrisy, and he throws the one with the massive debt into prison to be tortured. That's the essence of that story of the, of the unmerciful servant. And what the parable shows us is that there's a direct and strong link between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. It's direct. So, in other words, if God can forgive us so, so much, like, you know, 200,000 years' worth of working, or whatever it was, then we are compelled by what God has done for us to offer some forgiveness to those around us. So the Lord's Prayer, by linking forgiveness of others with God's forgiveness of us, um, is saying that we can't receive forgiveness from God if we have unforgiveness in here still. We can't. In other words, if we've not forgiven someone else, we're not in any condition or space to receive forgiveness ourselves from God. Let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine a single track railway. Okay, it's just a single, it's got a single track on it, and there's a train on this single track railway, and it's got some carriages on it, and it's standing stationary in a station. Uh, and the, the train is filled with anger and resentment and hurt and bitterness because of what someone did to us. And it's stuck there. No other trains can get through because there's a single line. Now, waiting for the signal to change a mile this way up the track is another train. It's God's forgiveness of us. 
And this train is filled with calm and peace and a sense of fairness and restoration and settled love and and so on. But until we decide to release the first train to its journey, the other train hasn't got a hope of getting in. It can't do that. It's kept waiting. And the real danger is, is if if we don't take action soon, we get used to that train blocking everything. It becomes the status quo. We get used to the weight of it, to take the analogy from the rucksack. We we grow bitter uh, that that unforgiveness train is in our station always, rather than having the things we genuinely need from God that are just waiting up the track for us. And sometimes we do this thing, we kind of kid ourselves, don't we? We say, well, I can kind of build a little siding. You know, that extra bit of track that another train can come past? But spiritually, that's not possible because we only have one heart and one soul. It's one line. We have to let things through. And until we decide to release the train of unforgiveness from the station, no new train from God is coming. But the moment that you do, space is immediately created for you to receive from God. There's a really key word in this part of the Lord's Prayer. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That word as is so important because it's like at the same time. The word as in the middle could be reworded to say at the same time that we forgive others and send, send that down there, here comes God's thing for us. God's forgiveness is permitted and in it comes. So I have a, a pastor friend called Pete in the States and uh, he sends a devotion to a group of people and uh, I get that kind of once a day on a, week, on a weekday, and he sends one for the weekend. Um, and they're just brief thoughts, uh, and he, he ends them with what's called a pocket prayer. And the idea is just a thought, a little prayer, and you can kind of put that in your pocket, and you've got that for the day. And they're great. I really enjoy them. And back in November, one of Pete's messages was on this verse from the Lord's Prayer. And he wrote this, and I thought this was so wise and so helpful. Like a light went on a little bit for me, really. He said this. I never really felt comfortable thinking that God's forgiveness depended on my forgiveness of others. It makes God seem petty and uh, vindictive because the truth is I am not always great about forgiving others. I don't know about you, but I really identify that I'm not so great at always forgiving others. Does that mean God will withhold his forgiveness from me? Hmm, he writes. Uh, Maybe it's not so much about his withholding forgiveness as my experiencing it. If my heart is full of unforgiveness, then there isn't a lot of room left for me to experience his. And then the pocket prayer from his devotion was, Lord, I'm letting it go. It's yours. Really, really helpful. Or to perhaps pick it up in terms of that train and railway idea, Lord, I'm sending you the unforgiveness out of my station, and would you now send your forgiveness in? Let's define some things that forgiveness is not and that that it does not do. And then also, let's look at some things that forgiveness does do. Because I think it's really important that we get a good scope on what forgiveness is. Because so so many of us as Christians get it slightly wrong. Uh, I'm not, not ticking you off or anything. I'm just saying, hey, let's get a real clarity on what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Because when you understand that, I think it really equips you properly to know what you're getting into. So number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, we hear this phrase, well, forgive and forget. I don't think that's, that's right. That's not right. It would be unwise, in fact, to forget because in some cases there are people out there who could keep hurting us. And if we did genuinely forget, they could hurt us again. 
Besides, remembering who hurt us helps us to practice healthy boundaries so that we can protect our hearts in the future. Forgiveness has worked properly when we can remember what someone once did to us, but it, does, it just doesn't hurt anymore. Let me say that again, because that's a real important test for genuine forgiveness. Forgiveness has worked properly when we can remember what someone once did to us, but it just doesn't hurt anymore. Jesus is walking around in heaven with scars from the cross, but they no longer cause him the physical and emotional pain they did at the time he received those scars. And yet Jesus hasn't forgotten the cross. No one in heaven has forgotten the cross. But he forgave those who crucified him. In fact, Jesus is so pure in his heart that he forgave them as they crucified him. In fact, he demonstrates as from the Lord's Prayer himself. He does it almost at the same time. While they crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And while he did that while he was still able to say it before he died on the cross. So a great test of whether you've forgiven someone or not is linked with remembering, not forgetting, it's when you remember, and it just doesn't hurt anymore. Number two, forgiveness is not tolerating sin. Jesus taught us to keep on forgiving others. Up to 70 times 7 was the phrase he used uh, just around that parable in Matthew 18. But it's basically a phrase meaning just keep on forgiving. Don't put a limit on it. it have loads and loads of forgiveness in your heart. But that's not the same as overlooking or tolerating sin towards you. If someone keeps on deliberately sinning against you, you can forgive them, sure, but it's also right to take steps to provide protection so that that sin can't affect you or, or touch you anymore. Um, I once uh, had a case uh, where a woman forgave an abusive husband, but she still changed the locks on her home and didn't give him a key because there were no signs of actual real change in his behavior despite uh, many good words. So she'd forgiven him, but she also protected him herself from future sin. And that's just wisdom. Uh, in fact, yesterday morning here in the auditorium, we held our safeguarding training. Um, and uh, we heard a few stories uh, from the trainer, Simon, who came uh, of how someone can be forgiven, but that, that doesn't mean they've then got full access to the things they used to have uh, in that church or whatever it might be. So forgiveness is not tolerating sin. Number three, forgiveness is not plotting revenge. Romans 12, 17 to 19 tells us this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. When that person handed us that massive bag of pain, that was represented by the bricks in the rucksack, when they first hurt us, that natural response and the instant response is to want to lash out and get them back, isn't it? You know, when that person cuts you up in traffic, you just drive a little bit faster in response. Yeah? Oh, I'm, the only, I'm the only one that's done that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we say to ourselves, they need to feel the same pain that they made us feel. That's only just and proper. That's the logic that goes through our head. Justice says, give that person back what they deserve, what they gave to you. But forgiveness says, if you do that, it will cause an endless cycle of hurt and retribution. It will. 
Forgiveness is a very pure form of mercy, in fact. Um, Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. So justice is giving somebody what they deserve. Mercy is not giving them what they deserve. And forgiveness sits right in the heart of mercy. It's a very pure form of mercy. And the incredible thing that we saw about Nelson Mandela was that he was able to see that forgiveness and mercy could genuinely de-escalate decades of violence and cyclical retribution. He saw that as a leader. And by setting out with his agenda of forgiveness, he realized that he could slow that down a little bit, slow down that cycle of revenge. There's another film I want to recommend to you this morning called Boys in the Hood, and it starts Cuba Gooding Jr., who plays a young man growing up in a deprived suburb in the United States. And it's about tensions between rival gangs, and and the story escalates to the point where this young man and a few others have jumped in a car with guns to go and take revenge. But halfway through the journey to the shooting that they've planned, he jumps out. This young man jumps out, and he realizes if he goes through with it, it could cause so much more harm than good. And he's right, because while his friends go through with what they've planned that day, a few weeks later, they, in turn, all get killed in another revenge attack back, but not the young man, not the hero of the film, because he wasn't there. He decided to step out of the situation. Forgiveness is to step out of revenge. Forgiveness is to step out of the cycle of revenge. Number four, forgiveness is not reconciliation. That might be really surprising for you to hear that. Christians sometimes think forgiveness includes reconciliation. It doesn't. Reconciliation is the next step on from from forgiveness. And it's great to try and achieve, yes, but it's not a requirement of forgiveness itself. Now, why do I say that? Because forgiveness is entirely between you and God, and it doesn't depend on another person. After all, that other person who may have hurt you could be living on the other side of the world, or maybe they have passed away even, and, and God would never tie your freedom to their availability. That would be very unfair, wouldn't it? And besides, that other person may not want anything to do with you anymore, which makes reconciliation impossible, because reconciliation takes two, it's not one. And that's why forgiveness is different from reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one, you, and God. So it's kind of technically two, but I'm kind of not counting God as a person in that. I'm talking, humanly speaking, uh, reconciliation takes two. Reconciliation is that after forgiveness, you can actually get along okay now. You can be civil to each other uh, in little, in church, in the street, in a, at a barbecue. You can get along. You're not going to be kind of at each other's throats anymore. Now, you might not be best friends, but you can be civilized and you get along okay. That's Reconciliation. And that's, that's absolutely an aim to go for, sure. But it's not actually forgiveness itself. Number five, forgiveness is not restoration. Christians sometimes think forgiveness includes restoration. It doesn't. Restoration is the next step on from reconciliation. So you have forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. And it means, restoration means putting the person who hurt you right back in the place of all the privileges and trust that they once had with you. It's actually a massive thing to try and achieve because it requires the person to be fully and genuinely restored to the place of trust that they once had. And this can be, I think, why some marriages can take such hard work on letting go and on being willing to move forward together in such a deep way because a marriage really does need all that original closeness and trust back to be a marriage once again. 
It's also so why some marriages fail, because the person causing the offense doesn't realize the work needed in re-earning the trust. They think the forgiveness and perhaps the, the, the reconciliation was enough, but it's actually the restoration they were hoping for, and the other person isn't ready yet. In other words, you can forgive fully, but you can also insist simultaneously that trust is built slowly back, step by step, day by day, week by week, year by year, and so on. Number six, forgiveness does not make all the consequences go away. You know, Christians sometimes think forgiveness means that there are no consequences as a result of what they've done. It does not mean that. Forgiveness means that we have had our own personal moral account wiped clean by the Lord, and we've been given a brand new start. Amen? That's what it means. That's great. And when we forgive someone else, that's what we give to them. We give them a brand new clean slate and a brand new start, and they get a fresh start with us. But there may well also be considerable work to be done in addressing the massive mess caused by what we did wrong. Let me give you a biblical example. David got fully forgiven by God for adultery and murder, which are very, very big sins, but then lived with the consequences that brought into his family for the rest of his life. And his children had to live with the consequences too. So forgiveness does not necessarily make all the consequences go away. Now, for you and I in the room, we might be genuinely sorry that, for instance, we might have stolen something, and then uh, we, we were genuinely sorry, and then we know that we've been forgiven by God. We just know it. God's, God's set, the, set the record straight with us. But that doesn't mean that there's, there's nothing needs to be done. We might need to pay some of that money back. Uh, we might realize that now we're permanently disconnected from the people that we stole from, and those consequences are ongoing. So, I've spent some t time trying to narrow down and define what forgiveness is not. Just to give you a handle on that, let's look at what it is. Let's do that. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. And this is another area that Christians really struggle with because forgiveness is often wrapped up with a whole lot of feeling. Actually, forgiveness is a decision. When we decide to forgive people, it's a decision first and a feeling later. When we forgive, our feelings may not catch up for quite a while. Just to be straight, I think I've forgiven people and I know that I've had to go back because the emotions are still there and I've had to forgive them again. Now, first time when I forgave them, they were forgiven before God, but my feelings hadn't caught up yet. And so I did it again to kind of process my feelings a bit more. But actually, they were forgiven. Just because we decide to forgive someone and then we feel no feelings doesn't make it invalid at all. It's actually totally valid. And it's totally valid the first time you do it. The forgiveness in front of God has been offered even if we feel nothing. My experience is that sometimes there's feelings with forgiveness, sometimes the feelings are later that day, and sometimes the feelings take several months to process out as I keep re-forgiving uh, re people. The Christian life, remember, is one of living from our decisions and our commitments and not our feelings. Number eight, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of someone else's mistreatment of you. Let's just boil this down. Everybody in the room has had stuff done to them that was not right, that's made you feel terrible. Yeah, you've all been hurt. But we're already living with that. You already have it. You didn't ask for it, it just got dumped in your rucksack. And you're like, great, now I've got that to carry. Thank you so much. 
So not forgiving the person who did that to you is one way to live, yes. But do you really want to carry the rucksack for the rest of your life? If you don't forgive, you could become bitter and you could scar your heart and your conscience, carrying that rucksack around forever. Forgiving them is so much the better way. By choosing not to forgive someone, we stay hooked to the pain of what they did. We think that by forgiving, we let people off the hook. Actually, what happens is we let ourselves off the hook. That's what really happens with forgiveness. Um, At the moment in BCC, we're running through a course called the Freedom in Christ course, and it's an outstanding course. And about halfway through, there's a session on forgiveness. And in the material, there are two quotes about forgiveness that are just so good, I thought I would bring them and share them with you. They're just brilliant. The first one is this, holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person will die. What's that? That's not right. Can you see the illogicality of that? And the other quote is, forgiveness is to set a captive free and realize then that you were the captive. Lastly, forgiveness is a form of faith in which you genuinely believe that God saw and knows what you went through. Forgiveness is a form of faith in which you genuinely believe that God saw and he knows what you went through. It's a special form of faith, first, because it really does trust that God knows what you had to go through, and secondly, it really does trust that God will address the issue in his timing. And we all know God handles these things so much better than we do, right? When we try and handle it ourselves, we bungle it big time. We're too angry, we get the timing wrong, we don't see all the issues, we don't understand the thing that they were dealing with. We make a, even Sometimes we can make more of a mess of it if we try and be the arbiters of our own justice. If we leave it to God, he will do it so, so, so much better than us. He sees the whole equation, he sees the past, the present, the future, and he's able to judge perfectly the kind of consequences that match the crime. And he may, in his mercy, say, no, I'm not going to punish that person because I don't feel that it's right. And we have to trust that his judgment is good. If God was able to send Nathan to David about his sins... He's perfectly capable of hearing you about your need for justice. And he's perfectly capable of dealing with your unjust situation on your behalf if you, if you give it to God. I'm going to ask our worship team just to come back up right now. And uh, I'm also going to invite Luca to come and join me up on the platform. Um, we were chatting through the whole issue of forgiveness uh, in our team. And uh, uh, Luca shared this incredible story uh, about something that happened with his dad kind of back in the day. So uh, I'm just going to ask Luca to come and share that uh, before we sing. Um, so just talk, talk, talk to us, uh, Luca, about what happened, because the story you shared was amazing. It, was, it yeah. just kind of came out one break time, didn't it, in work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just talk us through what happened. Absolutely. So the story is about my dad. Um, I come from Sicily, and uh, actually, um, uh, let me give you a little bit of background about my dad. He grew up in the, uh, between the 50s and 60s in Sicily, Back in the days, it was pretty tough. Um, I was saying in the first service that dad, dads wouldn't teach the sons to play football. Instead, they would teach them how to fight and defend themselves. Those were, you know, very bad, bad days. And um, my father grew up as a, as a tough man. You couldn't really mess with him. <laughs> um, but thanks God, it got to the point that the entire family came to Christ. And just after a few months that he came to Christ, um, he had a butcher shop. 
and it was literally just about to close the the, the um, uh, rolling how do you call it the um, the shutter yes yeah. the shutter was was nearly all the way down was ne literally um, just about to leave and a man with a gun comes in and uh, he attempts to to rob him um, so he goes give me money give me everything and my dad uh, with the excuse of um, going to get the money he actually went to the back of the shop and he said hold on here I'm gonna get the money um, at the back of the shop he had a huge knife and in a split second he had the brilliant idea of jump on the guy and uh, not taking the offense but in those few moments the, the the Lord spoke to him and actually gave him a, vi a vision he saw himself from that moment on uh, you know, uh, being uh, imprisoned in jail and his entire life being ruined. So he called upon the Lord and he said, Lord, help me with this. He went back um, to the front of the shop and said, look, you know what? Here are the money and let me give you some food for, for your family. At that point, the guy started shaking. He couldn't even hold the gun. Um, and my dad gave him the money and the, the food for the, for, for the family. And that guy ran away shouting, I'll give it back to you, I promise, I'll give it back to you. In that moment, my dad was baptized with the Holy Spirit straight away. He started speaking in tongues and praising the Lord. <laughs> and as he got back home, um, he got home and uh, my mom, her name is Josie, opened the, 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 the door. And it was like, Josie, thanks God, I've been robbed. <laughs> and she was absolutely shocked. But that was a very, very good day for my dad, and the Lord taught him a lot through that. What an awesome story. Amen. Thank you, Luca. Would you all stand with me, BCC? Luca's dad's experience is such a powerful illustration of what I'm talking about with, if you send the train on, then God will bring something else, something much, much better. And it can happen real time. It can happen really quickly. You don't happen to hang on to this for a really long time. Now, Kevin and the team are going to lead us in some worship, and then we're going to respond uh, to, to today's message. Thank you, Kevin.